Devil's Knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 548. Jason Lingren is with me and Wayne McCroy returns. Uh, anyone can do a search using the search function on site to see all the Wayne McCroy episodes. We're going to be covering symbolism, myths, archetypes, this kind of thing. Many people really are completely unaware of the power of symbols, and they are primarily implemented, let me put it that way. Uh, by secret societies and places that control. And if you start to consider symbols in maybe a different way, like think of the symbols around our religious traditions, Uh, they not only hold an instantaneous and often subconscious meaning or effect, but they tend to collect collective meaning over the time that they are used out in the open again. And of course, as we've covered, symbols have a geometry, geometries have an energy. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a very pleasant good morning. All right. Welcome, Wayne. It's been a while. Yeah, man. Always good to be back here with you, too. Excellent stuff, as always. You want to tell folks where they can find you, where they can find your books and everything else? Yeah, I I just recently built a brand new website, so everything's centralized there. So the best place to go is www.alchemicaltechrevolution.com, and you can find links to everything that I do there. And plus the podcast, uh, each new episode of the podcast will be right up there on the front page for people to listen to, and there's links to all the other episodes there as well. All right, we should probably get links. Make sure you get links over to Rose. I'm going to try to figure out a prominent way to get a link over to your new website off Pro Triple Seven Radio. But anything you want to add, Jason, or shall we jump in? Oh, should I read out? Should I read out the episodes Wayne's been on or let people search? And do you have those handy? I do. I have a list in front of me. Here we go. I'll just do it. Uh, Last time was 512, 499, 486, 49, 449, 525, 418, 397, 378, 347. Dang, this is getting to be a list. 341, 339, 329. Uh, that's when we did 2001 A Space Odyssey. 322, 289. 261, 224, 224, 210.5, 210. That was a crossover. It led into the next episode. 187, 178. We're almost there. (laughs) 172, 171. That's another crossover where we were running through uh, Virgil's Aeneid and the old mythical writings from Rome. Uh, 169, 163, 152, and I think, nope, here's another one, uh, 145, dang, here's more, 135, 128, 125, and lastly, 109. Wayne, I think it's safe to say uh, that of all the guests we've had, you've been on the most. (laughs) I think so. Uh, I, I think I've been on probably pretty close to 30 times or more at this point. Yeah, I knew the list was long. I just hadn't checked it. Anyhow, let's go ahead and jump in. That was a lot, Jason. Archetypes, symbols, and myths are the bits of information that populate the human unconscious mind. 
There are concepts that our unconscious minds inherently recognize that we do not pick up on a conscious level. Understanding the nature of these archetypes can help us to have a better grasp of the ways in which the social engineers of this world manipulate us. You know, if people pay attention to something as common as the entertainment they view, you will notice quite often a very quick cut shot. And you might ask, well, why did they put that shot in the film? Wasn't enough time for me to even really recognize what was in frame. But what's being done there is they are under the impression that it's more than enough time for your subconscious mind to pick it up. If you begin to freeze on some of these frames, often there'll be things like clocks, newspapers, other things. Uh, The claim is, and I think there's something to it, that your subconscious mind is picking up this information unbeknownst to your conscious mind. The other thing I would mention is when you're traveling through a day and uh, maybe a cross or something comes up in your peripheral vision, your subconscious mind latches onto that. And all the, I don't know, what would you call it, Wayne, the the information that goes with it or or the way that you think about the world based on that symbol. Well, that's essentially the whole reason why I decided to put together these notes and try to uh, like really work this out for people to understand how these archetypes, these symbols, myth representations, uh, all of these things that we come across on a daily basis without realizing it how this affects our unconscious mind and it has a subconscious effect on us, which will manifest later as changed conscious behavior. People don't seem to pick up on this notion of things by and large. We're not taught to look for this stuff. And we're taught to think of anything like this as being maybe nonsensical or some such thing. Oh, it's just coincidence. There's nothing to any of that. But we can go back and look at these various scientific studies that have been done in the movie theaters and such, wherein they would put little things in like one frame of the film that you can't consciously see or your conscious mind doesn't pick up on, but your subconscious mind does see it. Things like eat popcorn, buy Coca-Cola. These experiments have been done and have proven to have a, a very real effect on human behavior. So this is the kind of thing we're looking at here. This is kind of why I wanted to go at this. I want to give people a type of framework as to exactly how it is that the social engineers in this world work. And a lot of it has to do with the unconscious or subconscious mind. All of these things that are put out there for us, especially in entertainment media, are there for a reason. And the social controllers understand the reasoning behind this. And they put all of these different symbols and archetypes and things like that in there so that our unconscious mind will recognize it, but our conscious mind doesn't see it. And therefore, it's a type of programming template for us. And as time goes on, sometimes these symbols pick up layers of meaning or these archetypes pick up layers of meaning and layers of context that can be used to steer social behavior of the masses in certain directions. And that's what a lot of this is about. It's about controlling the public consciousness, controlling how the public responds to these things. Because when you put a group of people together, Individuals have different opinions and reactions to things, but the group mind is something completely different. And these people who do this social engineering type stuff, they understand the dynamics here. They understand how to manipulate an individual mind, and they also know how to manipulate the group mind. And it seems they've been more focused on the group mind as of late. 
with this because that is where they have power and social influence in our culture, especially when it comes to Western culture. So they use a lot of this stuff to steer people's behavior unbeknownst to them. And that's kind of why we're doing this. I want to get to the nuts and bolts of exactly how this works and come up with a framework, a type of uh, way of referencing this stuff that people can understand and maybe apply to their daily lives to recognize when this is going on. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping we could make some headway with this and people will begin to understand how this is done and deconstruct it and therefore by deconstructing it, making it of less effect upon them. So it's important that we look at this stuff at any rate. So as we get in here, I'm going to give a few examples. And firstly, if you jump on YouTube and you do a search for subliminal advertising, you will see, I, I want to guess that it was the 1970s when supposedly laws were passed to tell advertisers to knock it off with subliminals. But it didn't stick, by the way. But if you go back and look at these old ads, you'll see people who have cleverly taken, and it's difficult for the conscious mind to pick out, like there will be the word sex in ice cubes. Just go look up a clip and then realize there's, this is not being done for no reason. It works. In theaters, and I think, again, it was in the 70s, there were these tests done where I think the frame rate was typically 24 frames a second. One frame would have a penis on it and they measured the effect the conscious mind nobody was aware that they had seen a giant penis on a giant movie screen but subconsciously they were all aware of it and they measured the effects of it to give an example of how the rocket sauce is put onto a coming event let's take a couple movies that everyone's very aware with let's use the big lebowski and the matrix these movies are both pre 9-11. And yet in The Big Lebowski, and I think it might be near the opening, he writes a check and you see that his, I think it's his, no, it's it's either the 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 date he signs is either September 11 or it's his birth date. I don't remember. But over in the Matrix, there's what I was telling you before, a quick flash to a dossier where your conscious mind does not have enough time to pick up all the information. And we find out that Neo or Tom and Thomas Anderson's birthday is September 11. So what they're doing is they're pouring the rocket sauce on an event to follow. Anyhow, back to you, Jason. The next point is a quote from Carl Jung. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. There are so many examples of this in spiritual traditions, most of them from the East where they practice what I call the mind sciences. Here's, here's the problem, and it's why I made my personal law about crossroads. The problem with new information is you're being drugged to the crossroads whether you want to go there or not. There is no choice. And because that has happened, you are forced to make a choice. If you choose not to make a choice, that is in fact a choice. And often that is a choice that someone out in the world is counting on. Not sure what you'd add there, Wayne, but in my law that I made for myself, I equate new information with physically being in the world and coming to a crossroads. There's five choices that can be made. You can go left, right, forward, go back, or sit where you are. Uh, till the day you die or whatever that option would be. That particularly stay where you are option, probably equating with the ether. Anyhow, what would you add, Wayne? 
Well, that, that actually fits very well with this whole quote here. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. The whole point here is much of what goes on in this world, we are being drugged to this crossroads where we are forced to make a decision of some sort. Only problem is most people don't realize we've been drugged down to the crossroads. And we don't see it as we have to make a decision. We have to turn one way or the other. We have to either go forward, go left, go right, or go back, or just stay where we're at. And largely, people get stuck right where they're at, right there at the crossroads where many things can be imparted to you without your knowledge. And that's the whole point here. So until you recognize this unconscious or subconscious programming going on, you're not going to realize that your mind is being manipulated and you are being steered to behave in certain ways by these social engineers who control things in this world. These dark occultists who run things. That's what I like to refer to these people as that are at the very top of the power structure. They certainly do practice the occult and they do practice the dark side thereof. And they are really intelligent people and they understand human psychology extremely well. And they know how to leverage this unconscious type of a motivator in people to get things done for the agendas that they want. So they they use a lot of these tools to manipulate people. So they drag you down to the crossroads and you don't realize this is being done by using some of these subtle symbols and archetypes and putting them in your face where you don't recognize them on the conscious level. And therefore you're drugged to the crossroads and you're forced to make some type of a decision. And largely what happens is people choose inaction. Inaction is a decision unto itself. And in choosing that, this, for some reason or another, to these dark occultists who run things, this to them would be equated to what you would call your consent to being manipulated in this way. If you choose not to react, they see that as your tacit consent to do whatever it is that they want with that. So that being the case, this is why they use these tools to try to engineer the culture and society that they want and engineer into this world the things they're looking for, the agendas that they're looking for. So when we recognize this and see it going on, then we have a little bit of our power back. And that gives us the ability to fend it off a little bit. And I think this is important because this is about your mind, the sovereignty of your own mind. And we've all been so manipulated and had so many ideas given to us from these outside controllers that we're unaware of. And we think that perhaps some of these things are our own thoughts, but largely they're not. I mean, Ed Bernays talked about this, and I think we have Ed Bernays in the notes here for later. Uh, it's about this this group who can actually form your opinions for you without you realizing it, this outside group. And they've largely done this. They've used a lot of these tools, these advanced technologies we have now as better tools to do this, to steer the public opinion of things. And like I said, a lot of this has to do with the public mindset, the group mind, rather than the individual. Individual people are smart. Now, when you put a bunch of people together in a group, they become stupid. This is known by those that practice group psychology or mass psychology. Uh, so uh, we have different dynamics at play here, and they've gotten so good at this, they could manipulate people down to the individual level with a lot of these things, too. And this, of course, goes to tailor-made advertising and stuff like that, the way these algorithms and stuff work right now with social media. 
they've tinkered with that to try to get to that dynamic where they could affect an individual mind in the same way they could steer the masses and work these things together into a dynamic that could get the result they're looking for. So we have a lot of this stuff going on, but the key to fighting back is recognizing that it's going on. And a lot of people are completely unaware of how they do this. And like I said, that's why I wanted to try to put this together in a context people can understand and maybe make heads or tails of it and recognize when this is being done and it'll have less effect on them. So I know that's a mouthful, but that's what I have to add to that. How pervasive is this? I'll tell you how pervasive this is. This is so pervasive that I created personal laws that I always keep in my back pocket because I know that I'm a human being and I can be wandering off the trail. I made a law for HD video that recently had to be upgraded because of AI. But the other two personal laws that I use relate directly to what we're talking about. We're surrounded by a world where we take theories as fact. So I wrote a law for myself. Any theory that remains unproven for years is a speculation of diminishing value and will therefore tend to be applied as propaganda in support of scientism the longer it exists. Here's the one that relates directly to what we're talking about, the law of crossroads. And the way that I basically branded it onto my brain was I linked it to real to the real world. And it goes like this. At any crossroad, a decision must be made. This is not optional. One can turn left, right, go back, go straight, or remain where they are. Now, here's where we cross over into what Jung and others were trying to warn us about. Likewise, New information is an unavoidable mental crossroad. It is unavoidable. In other words, you can't just choose to mind your own damn business. And that is the insidious nature of our information-driven world. It is an unavoidable mental crossroad. And it finishes by stating the obvious once you think about it. One can reject new information, accept it, modify it, ignore it, or challenge it. But this, this has to happen without exception. There's no, I, I mean, there, it, you, you can opt out, but basically there is no opt out. What are you going to do? Shut your eyes and plug your ears? Because basically that's what it would take. Anyhow, guys, we made it to a whopping bullet point two. Um, I'm going to try to be more brief or we're never going to get through all Wayne's points here. Go ahead, Jason. Carl Jung recognized the importance of the unconscious mind. He also understood that there is some form of interconnected information field to which all human minds are intrinsically linked. He referred to this information field as the collective unconscious. This notion has been largely accepted as truth throughout all times and cultures. They have called this concept many different things. Ancestral memory, the Akashic record, genetic memory, epigenetic memory, the dream time, the quantum information field, and Wayne's favorite term for the concept, the zeitgeist. Regardless of what it is called, this phenomenon does undeniably exist and can manifest in various ways. One such example of evidence of this concept is called the 100th monkey effect. Let me try to illustrate how synthetic our world is by using the idea of a patent. A patent is against what nature shows us is true. Everything that was just read here can be demonstrated. And by the way, 
if we go back millennia to ancient spiritual traditions, they were tapping into the Akashic record. They knew about all of this. And here's the problem. When I'm sitting here in my clever little office and I come up with a clever little idea and I write it down and I go get a document that says, this is my clever little idea. And anyone else who wants to implement my clever little idea needs to pay me. Here's the problem. Uh, all I did in, in reality was I tapped into basically the universal mind or the caution, whatever you want to call the concept that Jung just described to you. And as a matter of fact, what typically happens when big new ideas come is like all of a sudden three or four people will come up with it at nearly the same time or even larger groups. And this is also reflected in the hundredth monkey. And so what we do in the world is as greedy humans, we try to make every new idea a patentable thing. But, you know, look at the word patent. Uh, what's Night Tale? I think Jason told me the movie is Night's Tale, where uh, a guy who is not royal lineage wants to go do royal things. What's he have to do? He has to fake his lineage with what is called a patent, if you follow. Go ahead, Wayne. Well, the whole point to this is there exists this notion or this concept that all human minds have access to this information field. That It's something that's intrinsically there. It links to the notion of archetypes and symbols and mythology and that kind of thing. How we could unconsciously recognize a certain symbol or archetype without having any actual interaction or experience with that symbol or archetype previous. So we have this collective information field that exists that seems to link human minds together in some way. And you could call it whatever you will. A lot of times and cultures have called it different things. What's agreed by everybody, though, is that this, this notion does exist, that there is something to this. So it doesn't matter what you call it. It's, it's there. All right. And we have access to this information field. And therefore, a lot of understanding what's being done is understanding that this information field exists. You could call it whatever you'd like. I prefer the term zeitgeist because I think that infers a spiritual type of connotation that goes along with it, too. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that there is something to that, whereas people like Jung would refer to it as the collective unconscious and don't necessarily denote a spiritual attachment there, too. But the term zeitgeist actually translates literally as spirit of the time. So I, I think that's a good term, and that's why I chose that one as my favorite one to represent this, because there is a spiritual connotation to it as well. So we have this interconnectedness in this way through this information field, and that's why I'm, I'm trying to break it down into the sim most simplistic terms possible and just call it this information field, because it's something we can access, but a lot of people, by and large, don't understand that they have access to this, and a lot of times... This translates as ideas entering into your mind in ways in which the hundredth monkey effect happens, whereas a lot of people get the same ideas or same notions at the same time. And this is inexplicable because it's not like they've been interacting with each other or anything, but there, it's because there, there exists this field of information that they tap into in some way. Now, a lot of times this will come as an intuition or some such thing to people, so recognize your intuitions. There might be something more to it than just, I have this funny feeling about a thing. There might be some actual information in there that you can unlock by recognizing your intuition as maybe being, I don't know, some type of a ping from this information field. 
So in doing that, then we could better understand certain things about the way we've been manipulated, first of all. And second of all, maybe we could have a little better understanding of things that are truly going on in a more spiritual context around us by tapping into this. So there are people who have made claims to be able to tap into this field in certain ways and maybe have certain understandings that others don't. And I think it's largely universally agreed upon that this thing exists. So understanding that this thing exists is the important part because in Western culture, we've been taught to think of any such notion as nonsensical, that we're all just separated. We're all just these physiological forms that exist and any form of consciousness is nothing but the byproduct of some physical reaction in your body, some electrochemical reaction in your brain and brainstem that manifests. And there's nothing more to this, but nothing could be further from the truth. So once again, a mouthful, and I think we need to kind of move on a little quicker if we're going to get all the points in. We better, but I'll make two points on the tail of what you said. There's also the implication based on all of this that no information is ever lost. In other words, everything is recorded. And if you blow that out to the idea that part of what we're doing here is working out every possible thing that could happen, but let me throw this on the table. So if human beings can tap into the collective unconscious and are unconsciously contributing to it. Look at the animal kingdom. We call it other things when a baby bird is born and all of a sudden that baby bird does what all other baby birds of its species have been doing. And we have words for it. But is it possible that actually what's going on is in the animal kingdom, they're automatically tapping in to what that species has worked out and what they're supposed to do. We could take that all the way to navigation. Well, it's clear they're following magnetic lines or all the things we might say, or the turtles returning to that same beach. Is that the animal kingdom's version of tapping into their mental collective? Anyhow, we better keep moving. We're not going very fast through the bullets. So the collective unconscious, or if you prefer the term zeitgeist, is populated with bits of information that we know as symbols, archetypes, and myths. The human being recognizes these things on an unconscious level, and these bits of information will affect him on a subconscious level, later translating into effects on conscious behavior. Getting drugged to the crossroad by new information where there are all kinds of things that try to count on, well, you won't do anything, and so all these things we planned can happen. There is also the pre-planned supposition that this person probably would have turned right. But what we're doing here is we're going to get them to turn left. And the real danger with where we are right now is artificial intelligence. It is probably, uh, from my point of view, it is the most dangerous thing that has ever been in the hands of our species. And I can't even start to illustrate how, I don't know how words, magical, it is, how nonsensically magical it is. And the best I can do is try to equate it with a time machine. So while your physical body didn't move in time, it didn't matter because the information that was in the future was now available to you now. And this is the collective unconscious being manipulated by those who get how symbols and myth and all these things work. Geometry, yeah, certainly. And I think this whole notion is perfectly described in a paper called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, where it was recognized by the international, quote unquote, elite, the, the dark occultists who run things in this world, that in order to race ahead of society and get to the point where they could control people's behaviors at the touch of a button, first they needed faster 
inputs of data, faster collection of data and access to data. So they needed some type of computing methodology to do this. And this was invented wholesale largely in the late 1940s into the 1950s. And the collective group that we call the quote unquote elite, not necessarily elite, but the scumbags that run things, uh, who've taken positions of power in this world, they decided that they're going to use this new type of weaponry, these computer applications to collect as much data as they can on each individual and therefore be able to race ahead of society. This is in the, the that paper, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. That's the term that's used there. Race ahead to see when society is ready for capitulation to, of course, the agendas that they want. So all of it has to do with the wholesale collection of data and the utilization of algorithms to manipulate this data, to manipulate the mindset of the group dynamic here, of the consciousness of the society or the group. So they recognized this and they've weaponized this. And that's the whole point that's being done here. And so I agree with you, Crow, artificial intelligence is one of the keys to this type of control that they have. I mean, even though they've been using these same methodologies for ages untold, they haven't had quite the capacity or ability of data collection that they do now. And now Taylor making these algorithms with artificial intelligence, they have so many data points on each person that they could manipulate things down to very fine tuning type aspects now where they didn't have that much control in the past. So it's becoming pervasive and we're seeing the advent of AI all over the place now in the modern culture. And I think there's going to be implications very soon that we're going to begin to see if we haven't already begun seeing them. So. That being the case, this is in an, one of the main tools that these social controllers use in order to get all of this data that they need in order to manipulate people's unconscious behaviors in certain ways. So that's what they're doing. They recognize how to use the symbols, the archetypes, the myth representations to affect conscious behavior and make you choose a choice that you otherwise probably wouldn't. So we need to recognize that. And it, just in recognizing that, we can fight back a little bit and recognize, hey, I've kind of been manipulated to make such and such a choice here. Maybe that's not in my best interest to do so. Maybe somebody put that idea out there for me to pick up on. And that's what I think, by and large, they do. And they do that through mainly entertainment culture, as we'll see as we continue on. All right. Everyone can look up the book that Wayne referenced, and they should, um, the Silent Wars title. Jason, are we going to are we going to do the the imagery into the read? I guess we have to. For everyone listening who doesn't know who the Marquis de Sade is, it's where we get the word sadism or to be sadistic. Anyhow, go ahead, Jason. We need to define and classify some terms to better understand how these bits of information affect our conscious behavior. Here we must differentiate between archetypes in their pure form and the symbolism that they stimulate. The archetypal symbol is imagery generated and regulated by the archetype, but the archetype is in itself invisible. It is an innate predisposition that may be an inherent component of the brain. The archetypes stimulate the individual mind to make a vast variety of images. The imagery can turn out to be the Mona Lisa or Monet's water lilies or some imagery straight out of the pit and the pendulum or the Marquis de Sade. Another way to look at the archetype is to compare it to the axial system of a crystal. The axial system has the capacity to form the crystalline structure in the mother liquid, even though it has no material structure of its own. 
It determines the basic structure of the crystal, but not the ultimate size of the crystal or the exact shape. So too with the archetype. It is a predisposition towards certain manifestation, but does not specifically determine the image. As the contents of the collective unconscious, the archetypes are preform, pre-thought systems of readiness for action, but not the action themselves. In becoming familiar with the imagery of myths and legends, we begin to understand some of the universal patterns contained within the archetypes and in turn learn at least a bit about the human psyche. However, it is not enough to rely only on information from the past. We must investigate the present meaning of the archetypes through individual dreams and visions. It is the task of each age to understand the archetypal symbols in a new way as each age has its own challenges. So, Wayne, you and I are going to have to bring up our speed chess clocks. Jason, why don't you go ahead and roll through seven? Symbolism transcends language and can convey meanings that language simply cannot. Symbolic thinking is not the exclusive privilege of the child, of the poet, or of the unbalanced mind. It is consubstantial with human existence. It comes before language and discursive reason. The symbol reveals certain aspects of reality, the deepest aspects, which defy any other means of knowledge. Images, symbols, and myths are not irresponsible creations of the psyche. They respond to a need and fulfill a function, that of bringing to light the most hidden modalities of being. Consequently, the study of them enables us to reach a better understanding of man. And that's from Mircea Eliad in Myths and Symbols from 1952. Based on everything you just read, now consider back to a time that we can still see the buildings and edifices where the geometry and the architecture were clearly related to spiritual intent. These things of the old world that we guess at all the time are not mutually exclusive, nor are they detached from what we are talking about here. And look what we live in now. Rectangles and boxes. We live in the angles of sorrows. There is no, even in the 50s where I am, the porches were beautiful. There were little scrolling and just some beauty put into someone's home. That is all out the window now. It is very rare when you see beauty and a craftsman intentionally trying to make a home that someone will live in something special. Those days have temporarily flown. Anyhow, hit the clock, Wayne. We got to be brief here. Okay, well, the important takeaway from all of this is we have this archetype that undergirds everything. And I do like the analogy of the axial system of the crystal. Now, think in terms of probably an old science experiment we all did in elementary school as kids. You're told to take sugar, dissolve it in water, and then you hang a string down in the water and wait a couple days, and you'll see this crystalline structure forms around the string. Now, the string would be analogous to the archetype. And then whatever forms around that string would be what I would call here the image. And imagery is hugely important here. The image is an important concept or idea for the social programming of the masses. Now, the image could take on several different forms. It could become a symbol. It could become a myth or mythology or a combination thereof. And therefore, the archetype is the important concept here. They put the archetype out there. And oftentimes, it will come into being in ways that they 
didn't fully intend or expect, but it does take on this type of form of its own that we can visibly see and understand. And therefore, it has this commonality of the archetype underlying it, and it has the basic structure of the archetype, but it might look different. And that's why we have so many different mythological representations of the same type of energies or forces throughout all of mythology. We have these same stories being report, repeated over and over again. And of course, Joseph Campbell understood this and he came up with these 12 points of the hero's journey, 12 parts of it. And we have the, that same thing manifests in all storytelling today. It's got this archetype underlying it and there's only a select few archetypes that underlie all these things, but they take on different physical type manifestation of their own in these ways or the imagery thereof takes on, but it still affects the human mind in very appropriate ways, depending upon how the archetype is leveraged. And these people that control society, these social engineers, they understand that and they put the archetypes out there. And sometimes they take shape on their own and have some type of organic manifestation but the underlying meaning behind them is still there. And that's the important part. So that's a mouthful, but I'm trying to hurry it along here because we do have time constraints. Yeah, we're coming up on 45 minutes. We barely dented the point. Uh, go ahead, Jason, take us to the hall where we meet the manly man. Secret societies are one of the main catalysts for using symbolism to affect the collective unconscious. The use of these archetypal tools for altering mass psychology is one of the biggest secrets that these groups keep hidden from public scrutiny. Manley P. Hall says, Symbolism is the language of the mysteries. By symbols, men have ever sought to communicate to each other those thoughts which transcend the limitations of language. Manley P. Hall also said that when the human race learns to read the language of symbolism, a great veil will fall from the eyes of men. You know, I almost don't want to use the example I'm going to use here, but consider crop circles. It is clear that some of those, uh, it's, you know, people have ideas of how it's done. But the point is, it's impossible that a guy with a board did it. But what are we looking at there? We are looking at symbols. There are people who have gone in to make what's put there in 2D from our point of view, and they extrude it out into 3D and they do all these things. But consider that. Why is that being done? And what is it that's being used? Symbols. Go ahead, Wayne. Yeah, the symbolism is the important factor here, because as Manly P. Hall stated here, oftentimes they use these types of symbols and images to convey meanings that well, let's face it, our language just is not adequate to express. And that goes across the board for all humanity for all time. There are certain ideas that we simply cannot express adequately in words, and especially with our limited language we have today. In my view, I think the English language has been deliberately crafted in a way in which we lose a lot of connotation of meaning and nuance of meaning within the words that we use. And of course, that's being dwindled down in front of our eyes right now, too. So it's important to understand that oftentimes they can use symbols to represent things that transcend language. Things that we cannot fully adequately express with language, but we understand on an unconscious level. So that's why they use these types of things in the way that they do, because it can have a very real influence on your mind and not directly be told to you in terms of words. So that is the important point here. So they have largely used this language of symbology 
who affect people's behaviors and patterns of behavior through time. And the secret society groups are noted for this. And this derives back from the teachings in the ancient mystery schools as well. They understood the image, the archetype, the symbol, the notion of the importance of these things on the human mind. Certain things transcend language or can't be adequately expressed in language. So they have to have some way of conveying the meaning. And of course, this does harken back to the archetype that the human mind recognizes. So we have all of that inherent here. And of course, Manly P. Hall pretty much outlines the fact the secret societies have known about this and used this from time immemorial. Symbols convey stories to mankind. Sometimes one symbol can have many different layers of meaning. Humans think in stories, and we try to make sense of the world by telling stories, which is a quote from Yuval Noah Harari. A large array of information can be communicated through the use of symbols and archetypes, which usually translate into patterns that we call myths. J.R.R. Tolkien said, After all, I believe that legends and myths are largely made of truth, and indeed present aspects of it that can only be received in this mode. And long ago, certain truths and modes of this kind were discovered and must always reappear. Myths, according to Jung, are a type of a projection of the collective unconscious. The notion of astrology is a key component to relating these myth representations. Carl Jung said, The collective unconscious appears to consist of mythological motifs or primordial images, for which reason the myths of all nations are its real exponents. In fact, the whole of mythology could be taken as a sort of projection of the collective unconscious. We can see this most clearly if we look at the heavenly constellations, whose originally chaotic forms are organized through the projection of images. This explains the influence of the stars as asserted by astrologers. These influences are nothing but unconscious, introspective perceptions of the collective unconscious. One thing we might forget is it doesn't matter if I'm here in Rhode Island or someone's over in Norway, uh, that human being experiences a day or an hour or a year, winter, summer, we're experiencing similar things. If we look at even how we got the names of our days, some of them you can equate to Greek mythology, other is easily equated to Norse mythology. In other words, there was a common truth, and I think that really begins to shape the idea that it is a collective unconscious and language is no, no barrier. Agreed, and that's the whole notion here. That's what the archetype is all about. That's what the image is about. That's what the symbol is about, and we can see this. And a perfect example, of course, is the sky clock. Many cultures have looked up and they've told stories based upon these different uh, stars in the sky where they would group them together in different groupings and they would remember these stories in that way. And the human being tells stories to convey some of these archetypes or images or symbols because they transcend language. It's one of those things where it transcends language and culture. We all have these same notions we understand on an unconscious level. And oftentimes we express those in forms of stories because there's no other way to get the nuance of meaning about these things out there. So we recognize this, and this could be applied to the sky clock as well as many of the mythological archetypes we see going back through all the different cultures of the past. But primarily we focus heavily upon Greek mythology and the Romanized version of Greek mythology in the modern era. Because this is what we 
always have been taught. And this is what our culture is based on, is on these Romanized versions of the Greek concepts. All roads truly do lead to Rome. And these are largely the archetypes and notions that the social controllers of this world use to try to manipulate the masses. They use these types of myths or stories to manipulate the masses in this way. So we can see this, that this goes on and it does transcend time and culture. And there's a very real reason why they time things to the sky clock where they look at certain notions. There's these universal truths that we can recognize as human beings because of this notion of this collective unconscious or this zeitgeist, as I like to call it. And oftentimes there are people in positions of power in this world who recognize and try to use some of these notions and leverage them to favor their own agendas. And that's what's been done here by these social controllers in this place. And once we recognize that and understand and see what it is they're doing, how they're manipulating certain archetypes in ways, then we could have this very real power back that we, we all inherently have, where we could maybe turn things to the better for ourselves just by understanding that somebody is trying to manipulate this and not fall for it. So uh, we have all that. You know, it, it relates that information is power, particularly in an information age. It is also the reason for censorship. Consider the English language. At the base of the English language, one of the key components of what it means to live in this 3D materiality, this duality, has been removed from the language, and that is gender. You go to almost any other language, there is a clear idea of gender. That was censored out of English. Uh, of English. And so what we find is people, as an example, wanting to know what our true history is. What's happened is the censorship has limited information. And what's being pointed out here is the information was never lost. It's there. It's just that we don't have immediate access in the current mindset that we hold. Archetypes can often be truly understood in the form of myths or legends because the inherent meanings cannot be adequately expressed with language. These representations become a symbol. The symbol conveys information to the human mind. Myths are used to project an image into the collective unconscious. Altering the image or archetype inherent in the collective unconscious can affect the outside world in profound ways. Willis Harmon said, By deliberately changing the internal image of reality, people can change the world. There you have the crux of social engineering, right there in those few sentences. Change the way people think, and the world is in fact change. Change what people accept is true. Change a mindset. Uh, make fear pervasive, any of these things. And from the previous episodes that we've done, one thing that we forget over and over is a thought is real. A thought can be measured, therefore a thought has energy. And when we begin to talk about the collective unconscious, that's like taking this tiny little bit of energy and frequency and combining it and doubling it and tripling it and quadrupling it until hundreds of thousands of people are now involved in basically reconstructing the world based on new information that has changed minds. This is basically the key to social engineering or one of them. Absolutely. This is the key to social engineering. And this is something that has been largely understood for a very, very long time. Look back at the old hermetic sciences, the hermetic principle of mentalism, where mind precedes reality. 
this is absolutely leveraging on that idea, being able to affect people's unconscious minds in ways to bring about a type of manifestation that you want. Well, this is the true goal of the dark occultists, and this is the true goal of the dark magicians who attempt to bring about the agendas and the things that they want that benefit them in this world. It's all about their pervasive will. And that's the whole thing. It's about having their will override other people's will to bring about the things they want. And they like to use other people to bring their these notions that they have into reality here by manipulating this principle. So we need to keep that in mind because they understand how these things work. And that being the case, they utilize them to their own interests and not to the betterment of the public at large. And that brings us to the top of the hour. All right. Well, we've got a lot to get through. Wayne, when we come back an hour, well, I guess we can go long an hour or two, whatever it takes. Anyhow, Wayne, please tell everyone about your new website, which is now the central hub to get at everything you've done or be able to navigate to it to include the books and other things. Yeah, my new website is www.alchemicaltechrevolution.com. I figured it was about time to centralize everything to make myself a little easier to find because I I am kind of scattered around a bit. I do uh, live streaming on Rockfin. I have the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast is available out there on all podcast players. I have the books and I have links to all of these things now on the website. So people could just go there, www.alchemicaltechrevolution.com and find just about everything you want. So there it is. Thank you again for having me on. All right. As I wrap up hour one, there's a thing that I'm going to bring up and think about what I'm about to say. Much of the manipulation, the social engineering, the kind of discombobulation of the world by people who want to basically control everything, part of how it's done is because everything we've talked about is subtle. We have been trained our entire lives to think gross, to think in a gross way. As a matter of fact, what we call science is mostly gross now. This is why you always hear things like, oh, well, that's religion and religion has no place in science. And the religious people will say the same thing in reverse or the idea that, look, I can weigh and measure this thing. But you want to talk about spirit or this other thing that we can't see, touch, feel, film, monitor. That's not going to be included here. And this is the subtle in the world we live in now and the school we go through we have been taught to think in very gross ways but that is changing rapidly unfortunately it's not the only thing that's changing the run for control of everything everywhere is also changing and i'll close by the idea of the man who wrote the first book dune and i've mentioned it so many times the butlerian jihad think about ai It is a power beyond powers. Even though I have shown nuclear weapons do not exist as described, even if I could show you that they exist exactly as described, I would still opt that AI is far, far, far more powerful. And in the book Dune, somehow a guy writing in the 50s, he must have been writing in the 50s to publish when he did had the idea of what computers would be, and he outlined a a galaxy or a universe-wide war over thinking machines. When the war was done, anyone caught with basically a computer could be put to death. How did they know? Well, I would estimate they knew because it was part of the game plan even then. 
I would estimate that probably the algorithms that helped to kick this off were written as early as the 30s. Who knows? Maybe Archimedes or some ancient thing actually gave the tools and some papyrus no one's ever heard about. It's, you know, we don't know. But here we are in a world where we've got to get back to the subtle thinking. And the reason we need to do it is to begin to claim sovereignty back and begin to move away from needing the big brother. Because unfortunately, the big brother does not have our hopes and dreams at heart. With that, I'm going to bring hour one of episode 548 to a close. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two-hour episode. Members get access to all forums. Members can create new forums. Members get access to comments under every episode. Members get a free access to the movie called Shoot the Moon, covering all my telescope work for over half a decade, day and night and all the crazy things that I filmed. It's got 10 awards in the world now. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two, and I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.
Belief is the enemy of knowing.